Hello, witches and wanderers. My name is Missa. And my name is Katie, and welcome to the Baby Witch Podcast. Hey, Katie, how are you? I'm doing all right, you know, hanging in there. How are you doing, Missa? I'm doing well. Um, I'm here. We're both alive. We're doing okay physically, doing okay mentally. No uh, catastrophes have happened in the last several months, uh, even though we've been silent on the pod. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of you have reached out, and we appreciate you reaching out. Sorry, we kind of took an unexpected hiatus. It was partially a mental health break, partially just us uh You know, there was a technical error with the June episode, and then that rolled into us being like, well, should we do, like, it just rolled into August, and here we are, so. Yeah, and then it was, we were, like, ready to get this episode out uh, for you at the end of August, and then yet another hiccup, so it's September now, well, it's August when we're recording, but this will come out in September, Um, but it is the Q&A episode that we promised you many months ago before, um, (laughs) we dropped off the face of the earth (laughs) yeah so this is our two-year anniversary episode it's crazy to think that we've been doing this that long yeah Um, yeah but uh yeah so we have some listener questions that we're going to answer and i mean it's a pretty simple easygoing episode today to try to ease us back into our our (laughs) recording habits we're probably going to only stick with once a month right now um, just the way that things have been going uh, in our personal lives and also eh, everything that's going on <laughs> in the outside world. Yes. Um, and, you know, there are things going on. And if, you know, other podcasts can't are sporadic, we tried really hard to not be that way for a while. But sometimes life stuff gets bigger than us. Um, like, I know especially the Fat Feminist Witch podcast and the Betwixt and Between podcast, both, like, they're better now. But for years, it was like, I'm going to put out, you know, six episodes, you know, two weeks apart, like clockwork, and then you're not going to hear from me for, for another year. So, you know, we're trying our best. Right now, we're trying to get an episode out once a month, um, but... Yeah, life is hard and stuff happens. So Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Well, let's go ahead and get started. Um, our first question, and we did not ask these people if we could use their information. So we're just going off of first names, um, no um, usernames or Instagram handles or anything like that. Uh, but our first question is from Liana. I was curious to hear how you both came to practice witchcraft. Was there a specific memory you have or was it a slow progression? So we did kind of discuss this in our very first episode, I think it was, um, but that was two years ago. So yeah, I think it's time for, um, you know, just a little update on that um, or a revisit. So Katie and I were in a women and religion course at our Uh, in undergrad and it talked about women's roles in you know a a whole different range of of religions and spiritualities and it was in that class that I really got to learn the difference between paganism and like wicca and witchcraft and you know it's something that I'd always kind of been interested in growing up but it always seemed like it was something that I would have to study and I didn't really understand it. And I didn't just want to say I was something if I didn't really know what that was, especially if if I didn't know the difference, you know, I I heard pagan and I thought, yeah, that's me. And I heard Wiccan and I said, no, I think that's me. Um, So really taking Marie's class uh, in college. And then also in 2018, I discovered uh, the witch wave podcast and realized I could be a spiritual witch without having to follow the Wiccan path and having an official initiation and um, having kind of that, that little bit more dogmatic practice of Wicca. And so 2018 was really when I started on the path that I'm on now. Yeah. And I, I don't want to correct you, but I'm pretty sure it was 2017 because that's when you introduced me to it. And I know 2018 was three years ago. And I know that I kind of started on this path seriously about four years ago. Um, 
Well, then I remember it differently because I definitely remember, and maybe I did discover Witch Wave in 2017, but I would say I was probably more of a casual listener at that point and didn't really start this practice. So the the first major Sabbath that I remember practicing as more of a spiritual witch was Emolk of 2018 because it was right after I got married. Oh, nice. Yeah. So yeah, I remember because I actually keep track of that's an important date that like is an anniversary for me is the first major um, Sabbath that I like did a ritual or a spell for. And that was uh, Lunasa 2018 and prior like much like, so basically, yeah, we both took this uh, women in religion course. We went to a Catholic school and we were, were required to take, um, a Bible study course and a uh, a, an, a miscellaneous religious studies or theology course. So we both took a woman in religion course. And that's how I got introduced to the concept of like green religion and neo-paganism and witchcraft and Wicca. Um, and then for like a long time, I just kind of sat, I did kind of try to make an effort at the time, but it didn't resonate. I don't really think I had the tools to do so. Um, and then, you know, 2017 is when you introduced me to Witch Wave. And I remember because it was like the busy season at work for me. It was like November, December 2017. And I, um, yeah, I listened to it. And at first it was kind of an anthropological interest when I started listening to it. And uh, Pam Grossman, the uh, host of Witch Wave, recommended if you're a new witch or you want to learn more that you should read um Drawing Down the Moon by Margot Adler. And so I read that. And then like a third of the way through that book, I was like trying to figure out how to do spells and learning more and like trying to figure out like how to turn this into a solid spirituality. But, you know, in that way, it was kind of like really quick for both of us. But also I feel like we both, once we realized we were, we were witches, that we had been witches the entire time. Cause we were both exposed to witchcraft in our youth and we're curious about it. And we both grew up in rural places surrounded by nature, me in the Rocky mountains, Missa in rural Northern California. And like, I feel like for me at least, um, you know, I always felt the spiritual more in nature than I did in a church growing up. And so I've always been drawn more to the pagan, to animism, to, a green spirituality and I feel like witchcraft kind of just gave me the words to verbalize what I had felt the entire time so yeah yeah definitely um once you become a witch you once you once you claim the title of witch, you a lot of people realize that the witchcraft has always been with them they just didn't have the words for it um mm-hmm. I did in college and I mean after college for many years, I tried to do a a year and a day initiation, you know, a a solitary initiation for myself. And, you know, okay, well, I have to do every single Sabbath and every single new or full moon, or it doesn't count. And so of course I tried and failed a million times because how, you know, that's a lot, that's eight Sabbaths, 13 full moons, uh, in addition to just regular life. I, so I never made it. And so I always felt like I'd failed my year and a day initiation. And then once I kind of discovered the modern witchcraft community online, uh, I realized there's no such thing as being a perfect witch. Mm-hmm. Yep. Anybody who tells you otherwise is a liar. <laughs> okay. So our next question comes from Forrest. What was your first altar and how did you find the materials for it? Any good tips for setting up your first altar and the requirements for it? So my first altar, um, I don't actually remember like a specific first altar, but I did have a candle. I'm pretty sure it was from Home Goods, um, And I had like carved the, um, I guess, are they alchemical symbols? I have one tattooed on my body now. I guess I should know the actual title for it. <laughs> I think it is alchemical symbols for the elements. Yeah. Yeah. So I had carved the alchemical symbols for the elements into this candle and I would just kind of like light it and like meditate or say a few words. 
and, you know, maybe I'd have a couple of like crystals or rocks that went with it as well. But um, it was just like a small candle on a dish on my dresser. Um, and I think that as far as my recommendations, start small, start with a single crystal or a single candle um, or just a, a cup of water for the ancestors. It can literally be as small as you want, or it can be as intricate as you want. Um, it's not, if it's not going to be a, a fixed altar, you know, that you put up and you leave exactly how it is forever, take and choose from it what you want, you know, have it be just a cup of water and then slowly it becomes this huge ornate altar or have it be, you know, start with uh, something online, like a, a traditional Wiccan altar and then add things or take things away as feel right to you. This is your practice. It, if there's something on your altar that doesn't, that feels like it shouldn't be there, take it off. If there's no right or wrong way. And if there's something on that you think, I really wish this was on my altar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the trick to making an altar is that it doesn't have to be perfect. Like if you're a Wiccan, you know, maybe you should follow the traditional Wiccan altar format. Um, but otherwise you can really just do whatever you want to do. It's whatever makes you feel grounded and makes you feel like you have a holy space in your home. Um, my full first altar, as I said earlier, I made in college and it was just like, I put a book, sh- like I car- took out a bookshelf in one of my bookcases and I tried to build an altar that way. And it was just, you know, I was kind of trying to force it and I don't feel like I knew enough about what resonated with me and what I wanted to work with. And it just, you know, kind of fell flat and I didn't really pick it up after that. Um, and I think I almost set the bookshelf on fire because I burnt a candle on the bookshelf and you should never burn candles on bookshelves because you, it will always like burn the shelf above it. Fun fact. Um, (laughs) yeah. So I kind of, so that was my first altar, not a good example, but then, um, you know, years later when I realized I was a witch, I realized that I basically already had like an altar set up in my room because, you know, over the years, I had picked up this uh, Gaia tea light holder. I had gone to um, Turkey and gone to the location of the original Temple of Artemis and picked up a Artemis statue from that town. I had gone to Ireland and picked up a statue of the New Grange uh, face stone. I don't really know how to describe it on at the entrance or entrance stone, I guess that's the way to say it, but the entrance stone of Newgrange is very iconic and has like three swirling whirlpools. And on top of that, like I had like candles and all this other stuff just like on bookshelves. And I was like, Oh, or not bookshelves on my, my dresser. And I was like, Oh, this is already an altar. Okay, fine. I will try to formalize this more. So what I would say is like, it's whatever you want it to be. And it doesn't have to be super complicated. Just like use whatever you have in your home that resonates with you and you find beautiful and, you know, pulls at your heartstrings and makes you like, it's the type of like in the way Marie Kondo would say, it's like the type of things around your home where you see it and you're like, yes, this makes me feel special. This makes me feel connected. This makes me feel grounded. Um, Or maybe not those adjectives, but the objects on your altar should move you in some way and they don't have to be like, you know, hundred dollar chalices off Etsy. Um, But it's just whatever resonates with you. And as far as acquiring your first altar or your items for your altar, do it. Like you don't have to spend a lot of money. I mean, you may want to eventually invest in more expensive items if it's important to you. But if you're just trying to figure things out, you can, you know, go to the dollar store, go to thrifting, go to Target. Um, you know, there's no wrong way to make an altar. And there are specific altars that you need that have requirements and that you need to get stuff for. But like kind of folk magic and really down to earth, eclectic, nitty gritty witchcraft doesn't have any requirements for their altars. So, yeah. Um, and in addition to thrift stores, I would recommend, you know, if you're close with your family, um, you know, like a, an older member of your family, my mom has a ton of knickknacks around the house. Um, 
I could easily find like everything I needed for a witch's altar, just in stuff that she doesn't want anymore. Um, you know, that says a lot about my mom as well, but, (laughs) um, you know, if you have, you know, like your grandparents or, uh, you know, great aunts and uncles or, or anything like that, that maybe you go to their house and you find, you know, your grandfather's old whiskey glass and your grandma says, yeah, take that. I don't want that anymore. Or, um, one thing I have, and it's actually in a safe at my parents' house, but I have my grandparents' wedding rings. Um, I probably wouldn't leave those out on an altar, but I might use them on an altar for some kind of ancestral work at some point. So yeah, it doesn't have to be things that you buy. It could be things that you already have in your house or, you know, someone that you know already has that could, has a sentimental purpose to it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, you know, yeah, it's beautiful. You don't have to spend money. It's really just whatever you want to do. And that's the, that's kind of the running theme with witchcraft is that, you know, the reason why I like it is it's not dogmatic. There's not anybody saying you have to do X, Y, Z. It's just figuring out what works with you and what makes the magic come in, la- come alive within your soul. So, yeah. yeah. Um, if you do want like specific things, we have an altar episode that you can go back and listen to where we get into details about like specific items that a lot of witches want on their altars. Um, but none of those are required. Um, so we're not going to rehash those here. Yeah. And I think we did specifically talk about Wiccan altars in that episode because, you know, pretty much everybody starts out thinking that the Wiccan altar is the altar that you need to have, but it's, you know, it's just for Wiccans and like, I'm not going to bash on Wiccans, but also like, you know, Wicca kind of seems like a dogmatic form of witchcraft. And again, I'm not into dogma. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, so uh, something that a lot of witches like on their altar is a symbol of each of the elements, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like a bowl of salt for earth, a cup of water that actually, even as much as I, you know, the alchemical elements are, they are super important to me. Again, like I said earlier, Katie and I got matching tattoos with two of our other friends. We got the alchemical symbols tattooed on our bodies Um, they're really important to me, but having physical representations of the elements on my altar does not resonate with me. Um, I've -hmm. tried many things, incense and feathers and candles, and it just, it, for some reason that's not for me. And so a lot of witches, a lot of witches will say that that's a requirement or that they have to have it. That's like the one thing they have to have on their altar. I don't like it like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, no right or wrong way. Yeah. And also like going back to the Wicca thing, like in Wicca and all in Wiccan altars, they always, you have one statue that's a representative of the cisgender male God and one statue that's a representative of like the cisgender female God. And we've talked ad nauseum on this podcast about how <laughs> we think that's silly. So, like, that's why we're kind of like, yeah, you can do the Wiccan altar if you're Wiccan, but really you don't have to do the Wiccan altar. You can do whatever you want to do. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Our next two questions are from the same person, Melissa. Um, And the first question is, what is your favorite moon phase to work with? Um, And I would say, you know, right now it, it changes. Sometimes I really like the full moon. Sometimes the new moon is good. Sometimes the waxing moon can be really energizing. Right now, I am really enjoying working with the waning moon because for me personally, it feels like less pressure to get shit done the way I feel in the waning, in the waxing moon. Because, you know, the idea is that you set intentions with the new moon and then you build up towards the full moon. Whereas with the waning moon, you're like releasing and you're banishing. So I'm liking that the waning moon right now because there's less pressure. And also I'm finding it very cathartic to have like time and space to shed stuff and banish shit. And I'm finding a lot more like banishing is banishing and getting rid of stuff is resonating with me a a whole lot more right now than um, manifestation work. So that's why I'm enjoying working with the waning moon. Yeah. So And so years ago, years and years ago, uh, back when we had originally planned our group tattoos that we didn't end up getting, we got these ones instead. Um, But we were going to do goddess symbols and we all picked a goddess and I picked Hecate, goddess of witchcraft. 
Um, which, you know, should have clued me in back in like 2013 that I was a witch, but whatever. Um, but because of that, Hecate was kind of my first matron goddess, the first goddess I really resonated with. Um, and I had tried for a long time, again, trying to see whether or not I was a witch, um, you know, which deities I would work with. And Hecate was finally the one that I stuck with. Um, and she is associated with the the new moon or the dark moon, depending on who you ask. I consider them to be the same thing. I don't think Katie does. Um, but the time when there's no moon in the sky. Um, and that is a time for me of, of new beginnings, of leaving behind the old. Um, so maybe the last night of the waning moon as well, like Katie had said. Um, I don't do a lot of manifestation work. Um I can't say that my life is perfect right now, but I just, I don't have a lot of space for, um, you know, I'm not trying to always get more money or I'm very happy in my love life. So I'm not casting love spells or anything like that, which don't cast love spells, but like, that's beside the point. Um, <laughs> you know, so I'm, I don't have a lot of use for the full moon or the waxing moon. Um, but you know, the last night of the waning moon, dark moon, um, that way I, there's a lot in my past I'm trying to get rid of. So like, that is my time for me. And especially those new beginnings, um, right at the start of my practice again, 2018, um, right at the start of my practice. I mean, everything just kind of aligned at that time. Um, I lost two important elder women in my life, uh, one from work and one from family and like right in a row, and the next moon phase was a new moon, like the one where I said, okay, I'm going to start working with them, you know, doing lunar magic again. And so it was a time for me to kind of like put that to rest, to honor the end of their lives, you know, the ending of the moon cycle with the, the last night of the waning moon or the dark moon. And then starting over again, starting a new phase in my life, because I had really, I felt that time, that was also my time of transition from kind of the maiden goddess to not that I'm a mother, but that, that phase of the goddess. Um, and so that was that the new moon for all these years now is still the, the moon phase I, I work mostly with. Yep. And yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think what you talked about with like the difference between the new moon and full moon, and we did do a working with the moon episode. If you guys want to go back and find that and get more information on specifics. Um, but basically what some people say is that the dark moon is like when there is no moon in the sky and that's a time where you like do your deepest banishing work or shedding work. Um, and whereas the new moon is like when there's just a little sliver of moon and that's when you start your manifestation work working towards the full moon. Yeah. Um, whereas yeah. my view of the moon and how it's always been since I was an itty bitty baby <laughs> working with the moon phases um, because the, the new moon or the, well, the dark moon was better time to go fishing if you're my father. So the new mm -hmm. moon for me is when there's no moon in the sky. And then I would say the, the little sliver is now waxing moon in, in my mm -hmm. view, some witches disagree. So even Katie and I can disagree on witchcraft and it's okay. Cause you know, it's not dogmatic. It's not dogmatic and we can each, you know, it's whatever you feel like. And that's all that matters. Yes. Yeah, so our next question, um, again, same person, Melissa. Um, they ask, have you ever had a spooky experience working with your personal craft? Yeah, so I like racked my brain when I saw this question, trying to think of something spooky. When I think spooky, I think kind of ghostly. Uh, I don't really work with a lot of spirits other than my own ancestors and like my recently departed ancestors, which, you know, that's a topic for another time. Um, I mostly practice lunar and solar magic. So I can't think of anything within my own ex like practice that has been spooky. I've certainly had spooky experiences um, elsewhere in my life. And I will say in my own practice, though, the spookiest thing that's happened was probably me uh, scaring the crap out of a teenager at a cemetery where I was going to get graveyard dirt from uh, my friend's grave. And of course, you know, I was going there for my own self. So I was in like all black and like had vials of dirt and you know scared the crap out of a 13 year old so i am the spooky experience you're welcome 
You know what? That's what we should all aspire to be. If you cannot be the spooky experience you re- you want to see in the world, what are you even doing with your life? <laughs> yes. New, new podcast phrase. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We're, we'll make t-shirts. Not yeah. really. Although if you really do want t-shirts, DM me and I'll figure something out. Um, <laughs> yeah. So for me, like I've had a few spooky things happening. Like I swear I grew up in a haunted house that as an adult, I have cleansed really fucking thoroughly and I don't get those types of vibes. Although I was also being abused growing up. So it could have just been me like projecting, you know, internalized fear. Um, And then another thing I thought of is uh, when I had to put my cat down last year, um, you know, the vet I was working with was, really fantastic and she let me like hold him as he passed and you know they go in they do the final injection and you know I'm not expecting it to be instantaneous but all of a sudden I can like physically feel like what like I could feel like a tingling and an energy flowing uh, out of this like around my hands and around my cat who is passing um and you know I was you know I kind of turned to the vet and I'm like oh you know how long is this going to take? And she's like, oh, he's dead already. And I'm like, what? So I'm pretty sure I felt my cat's soul leave his body, um, which was very surprising considering that I'm like mildly a skeptic with spiritual stuff. Like I believe in it because I keep having experiences like that. But it's also like, you know, it's kind of weird for me to believe that without empirical evidence. Like I describe these things to other people and I'm like, yeah, I sound crazy, but this did actually happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And then another thing that I have that happens all the time is I have dreams that come true and we should, we need to do a dreaming episode, but yeah, I've had that happen since I was a kid where I'll dream something. And then six months later, I'll be like, Oh my God, I had this happen in a dream. Fuck. Cause usually if I had it happen in a dream, it's not usually good. Specific to witchcraft, um, it's kind of complicated. So probably the most like freaked out I've ever been while doing, like while working with witchy energy or doing witchy stuff was less Beltane. So if you don't know, in the Celtic tradition, Beltane is a time when the veil thins and the fae are really active and you're able to get in contact with them more easily. Um, And if you don't know what the Fae are, some say they're deities, some say they're, you know, completely different spirits. Um, my understanding of them after studying them a bit is that they're kind of just, there's the spirits of the land and they're kind of an animus, like they represent the energy of the land that you live on. Um, I've also been listening to the Myths and Legends podcast and doing other cross-cultural um, folklore research. And it's made me realize that each culture really does have their own version of land spirits or fairies. And so another thing I've been trying to do is work with the spirits of the land that I, of the land that I live on here in Colorado. And if you don't know much about Colorado, like I went out to California and lived there from 2018 to 2013. To 2013. (laughs) I'm t- yeah, sorry, 2008 to 2013. And in that five years I was gone, like Denver completely changed and became, you know, much more of a metropolis and much more bustling. Before that, we had a pretty small population. Traffic wasn't bad. It was cheap to live here. It was much more spread out, um, much more rural in a lot of places. Denver, you know, if you were to visit Denver today, it's a completely different place than it was 15 years ago and then that's just going back to like like my grandparents moved here in the 50s and my grandma has stories about taking trips up to Aspen with my grandfather and there being no paved roads like there was a truck that used to go down the dirt roads in downtown Aspen spraying kerosene to keep the dust down from the dirt roads um so Just to give you an idea, Colorado, like, there's a lot of ideas about what Denver and Colorado is now, but Colorado was very remote, very rural, mountainous, cowboy country, Um, also indigenous, and I think that's part of, that kind of explains what I'm about to say, because 
you know, it's not like the East Coast where people have been here for 400 years and there's several several hundred years of settlements. Most of the major buildings in the state were only built here like within the last 150 years. So, yeah. So anyway, so this last Beltane, I decided that I would like try to tap into my local earth energy and see what the spirits of the land were like and try to connect with them here in Colorado. And they're pissed. Like I just got really, really pissed energy. Um, I forget. I was listening to another podcast recently and they were like, yeah, what is really disconnected here as white people in America is like in Europe, they work with land spirits pretty extensively and we don't really do that here. And it's because, and then someone made a comment and it's like, And a lot of people don't consider that a lot of the land spirits in North America are fucking pissed because of colonialism, because, you know, they're indigenous. The people who had been there for hundreds of years were removed and had violence done to them and were forcibly taken away from these spirits that their ancestors had worked with for centuries. Um, And so, yeah, and it's also maybe environmental because my, yeah, there's been a lot of forest fires. It's been very dry. It's, you know, could also be that the land spirits are just pissed about climate change. Um, But yeah, so I like tapped into that energy for a minute and I noped the, they're deeply pissed and I'm going to stay inside tonight and not fuck with the land spirits. So yeah. Yeah. That's a. I mean, things like that happen in witchcraft. You certainly, you got to be careful with who you're, with, with whom you're working and, and make sure you go into it knowing what you might get out of it. Um, so, you know, I had said when I think spooky, I think ghostly, um, but I think like spirits and haunting, but what you said, Katie, I think makes a lot of sense. And yeah. um, I, I, don't find it surprising. Yeah. So that's a thing. I'm trying to figure out ways that are not appropriative. Like I really like the idea of just giving offerings to spirits. Like don't ask anything from spirits of the land. Cause we really just need to make amends with them at this point and being of service to spirits of land. But yeah, that was, I mean, I, due to a large Catholic school influence, I, like, don't fuck with ghosts. I have a lot of protections around ghosts. I just don't fuck with them. I've never had a ghost bug me. Um, So, I've... It happened, but, like, yeah. Earth's pissed, man. We should (laughs) Um, probably do something about that. (laughs) Yeah, well, you had said, you know, working with the land, one thing I've been looking into, and I think I finally found the appropriate organization to donate to, um, but I want to start paying like a land tax. Um, mm. So it's just like a recurring monthly donation to the tribe that originally inhabited the land that I'm currently occupying um, as part of, you know, my white guilt, but also as part of my spirituality practice to aid the descendants um of the ancestors yeah and that's important because we should be compensating them for the land that was forcibly taken from them and we should also yeah i mean it's just fucked up and well and i think that oh go ahead there's also we should be advocating for indigenous peoples to um gain sovereignty over like national parks and federal land like there's just federal land that's sitting open and we should be giving it back to the indigenous nations that originally occupied that land for as stewards of the land like yeah 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 well i think even um so the tribe again the nishanon tribe that originally was in in where i'm now living I believe they actually had their federal tribal recognition revoked. Um, So there are certain um, quote unquote benefits that certain indigenous tribes receive 
but only if you're federally recognized. And I don't think that they are for whatever reason. Um, just like uh, I have a coworker who's Hawaiian and indigenous Hawaiians aren't recognized as being, um, aren't, aren't part of any federally recognized tribe. So there's certain things that they don't get, even though they were most recently fucked over. So yeah, we've got a long way to go governmentally, but I feel like as far as, um, you know, spiritually, there are things that we can do to appease the land and not just our ancestors, but our, our brothers and sisters and, and non-binary siblings. Yep. I got exactly. Exactly. Yeah. How do you feel about NB as a way to say non-binary? I love the term NB. Okay, good. Yes. I like NB too. It feels more natural than, yeah. My only concern with NB is the first non-binary people that I knew were kind of our quote unquote baby gays from college. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so when I hear it, I kind of, I don't want to infantilize people, but in my mind, I, it, it feels infantilizing because I'm, I'm like, oh, my little NBs, but like, because they were already my little like freshmen and sophomores mm-hmm. in college. So I've, that's one thing I'm working on when, why I don't say NB a whole lot is because I, I don't want to use it as an infantilizing term. Yeah. And that's valid. I just see it more as like, it feels more natural to me, like say, you know, man, woman, NB, then yeah than man woman non-binary because it's like extra I don't know maybe it's just yeah. me being lazy but it's like extra syllables um not at all <laughs> yeah okay we got off topic sorry y'all that's uh what you came to this podcast for right <laughs> yeah this was gonna be a bit of a rambly episode anyway so here yeah. we are okay well we've got one more question um and I feel like it's the perfect question with uh, how we've been kind of on and off on the podcast lately. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I felt like um, I knew this person was not calling me out, but I felt like maybe spirits were calling me out with this question. Um, so what do you do when you fall in and out of spirituality, witchcraft and mediumship? And that is from LB. So I would say that it's totally normal to fall in and out of your spirituality with any spirituality, any religion, anything. Um, so it, unless you're a professional witch um, or your craft plays a central role in your life, other activities are going to take priority from time to time. Um, and that's the same again with any religion. So unless you're a nun, you're maybe not going to church seven days a week or even every single Sunday. Um, you're maybe not observing all of the high holy days that you should be. Um, that's fine. You know, unless you're like extremely, um, like orthodox, you know, some religions, um, you know, where, where your religion plays a central role in your life and you do everything by that religion, your school is that your work is that, um, it's going to ebb and flow. And there's no shame in that. I used to have a lot of shame in that. I always felt like I wasn't good enough because it didn't play a central, my spirituality didn't play a central role in my life. But now I know that that's not true, that it's, it's always, it's always going to be there for me to come back to deities are going to be there for me to come back to spirits, ancestors, whomever. Um, and you know, so sometimes I might come back just for a little check-in. Sometimes I might be like, okay, going hardcore witch for the next two weeks, especially, you know, during fall when it gets kind of spooky season and it's just like, okay, Maybon's coming and then we're going to do Samhain and it's just like hardcore witch all the time, making sure I get every full moon, every new moon. So that happens. Um, I usually try when I'm trying to get back in to reestablish some kind of just small ritual, you know, daily, every other day, once a week even. Um, so yoga helps me reconnect because that's like a physical ta- thing. I have to take time out of my day um, so I can physically reconnect some meditation, maybe a little moon or solar magic if you know there's a a moon phase or or a sabbat around the time that you're trying to reconnect um or even just like reading a book about witchcraft you know pick up drawing down the moon because you started it six months ago and you just can't get get back in and read a chapter um and then read a chapter tomorrow night and until you're finished with it something like that 20 to 30 minutes a day just small things and then pick it up as you go that's totally fine Um, 
and that's kind of how I've been living my last life for the last three years. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And you know, one of the few cool things about attending Catholic schools that they talk very openly about spirituality. Granted it is within like the Christian faith, but you can apply those same principles to other spiritualities. Um, and one of the things that I learned like in a theology course in high school is that it's totally normal to have a crisis in faith or to move away from it or to not be as strong in your faith. And one of the things I taught about that, I was taught about that is usually, you know, you come out of this crisis of faith or um, lack of spirituality stronger and more grounded and more powerful in your spirituality. So we kind of have to have these ebbs and flows in order to move forward and become stronger. Um, and for me, what I do is I just go back to the tarot because it's very grounding for me. You know, it's very easy to just tarot card a day and ground myself and learn from that and apply the lessons of the tarot and the medicine of the tarot to my everyday life. Um, I also tend to my altars, you know, just going around changing the water on my, in my offering vessels on my altars or lighting a candle or just cleaning them or updating them is a good thing to do. And it's, uh, it helps me re reconnect with my spirituality. Um, reading's also good. Look, um, and also just taking a walk in nature, like, you know, getting outside on your lunch break and taking a walk in the park for me is really one of the most spiritual things I can do. And it really helps me find my spiritual connection, no matter what I have going on in my life. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so those are the, the Q and a questions we got. Um, I hope we didn't miss any. We did. I think we addressed maybe some questions um, just, you know, via email or DM and you can always reach out to us via email or DM. Um, the Twitter, uh, direct messages were closed for a really long time. They are reopened now. I can get messages that way. I have got messages that way. Um, but yeah, you know, if you like this, maybe we'll do something again like this in the future, but we are going to try to get back to some regular scheduled pods. Um, before we go, though, we had a couple of other things that we wanted to discuss since this is kind of a, you know, there's not one solid theme of this episode. We thought this would be a good time to, to bring it up. Yeah. So the first one I wanted to bring up is that uh, the book I recommended for runes in the divination um, episode I recently found out that the author of that, Edred Thorson, is a white supremacist. I deeply apologize. You should ignore that book recommendation. Um, again, so I, yeah, it's, this is the hard part about studying Nordic spirituality is that there is a lot of white supremacy in, in that field, unfortunately. And like... I tried my best to do research, but there's like only so much research you can do. And it's really hard to Google pagan authors. And, you know, I was listening to another podcast with a uh, Siri Vincent Pluth and they pointed out that uh, Edward Thorson is a white supremacist and yeah, I'm deeply sorry. I recommended that and you should ignore that recommendation. I hope you did not buy that book because of me. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, again, we're, this is why we have the point of the pod. Um, we're all learning, you know, we're learning with you and we make mistakes, but we're not, or not even necessarily mistakes, but we learn new things as we go. Um, and so we're not above going back and saying, Hey, we learned a new thing. We want to make sure that we're updating you on this, this thing. Um, so I think we're going to try to get better at addressing those probably at the ends of episodes like this. Um, in the past, I have been reluctant to do that because I like my episode to be on theme, but I think that transparency and honesty and communication are really important. So yeah, we're definitely going to make those more uh, or this more of a priority in the future. Um, mm -hmm. That being said, um, several episodes ago, and Katie, you'll have to remind me which episode it was. I think it was maybe the ancestors episode. Uh, we had talked about mother yeah. Teresa. Yeah. And we had talked about her just cause like, if you didn't grow up Catholic or and go to Catholic school, like 
Mother Teresa is a really, really talked about in the Catholic community because she's seen as, you know, modern day saint lived in our time is undisputedly a saint, um, holy woman. And so like, you know, growing up in a Catholic school environment, Mother Teresa was talked about. And sometimes she comes up as a default if I just have to throw out, you know, religion. I think it was in the context of like Christian ancestors or something. Um, but also Mother, like, listener did write in and point out that Mother Teresa is very problematic. Um, so we're going to talk about that. Yeah, and, and I mean, I'm the same. I, I was very Catholic, very Catholic once upon a time. And uh, being a woman, I was not allowed to be a priest. I was also like eight. So I was a big barrier for it as well. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, Mother Superior was kind of the, the the highest you could go as a Catholic woman. And so I always really looked up to her. But, you know, then you become an adult and you discover that things are not what they appear to be. Yeah. So the biggest critique that most people have of Mother Teresa is the quality of care. Um in case you didn't know, she is most famous for running charities and basically like what was supposed to be a hospice in what is now Kolkata, India. Um, but there's a lot of criticisms that she was just doing it for the money and that in the medical center, they like were they weren't really forming doing like palliative or hospice care. They were basically just like washing people there's reports that people were doing shit like um taking a dirty syringe and just running it under cold tap water and then using it for another patient um and that there weren't really doctors it was just you know volunteers and nuns performing medical care and they didn't really know what they were doing um there were also criticisms that they were baptizing like performing deathbed baptisms without really getting the consent of the person they were baptizing. Um, And there's also just a lot of, like, apparently she made some pretty racist comments. Um, And also on a spiritual side, there was a, uh, her letters were published after her death and it was revealed that she was like really lack, like she had a lot of doubt and had a lot of crisis of faith and was kind of not really spiritually motivated in a lot of what she was doing, which that's really only controversial if you're Catholic, but yeah. Yeah. But I mean, if you're working with ancestors and that's one that you were wanting to work with, we just wanted to make sure that we gave you that information. Yeah. And then we did have someone else write in um, and they had listened to our appropriation episode and they were like, Yes, everything you said was great, but you didn't talk about spirit animals. And Miss, I think you said it best when we talked about it um, yeah. offline. So, yeah, I, I, you're right. We didn't talk about spirit animals because, in my mind, that's so obviously appropriative that why would anyone? I mean, it feels like it should go without saying, but it doesn't go without saying because um, Katie and I had to go back through our Twitter and delete. You know, when we used to say like, oh, my God, I love Leslie. Nope. She's so my spirit animal. Mm-hmm. But uh, spirit animals are very specific to uh, Native American culture, other indigenous cultures. Um, someone who is your uh, someone that you like a person or another animal. That's not your spirit animal. Spirit animal is something different and specific to that tradition. And if that's not a tradition that you're in, um, then I would find a better word for it. Yes. And you can work with um, spirit animal, like you can work with animals on a spiritual level, but like they could be, they, you can't call them spirit animals because that is much like smudging. A spirit animal is a very specific thing within a certain context. You can't just work with an animal on a spiritual level and start calling it your spirit animal. And you can work with animal energies, but you just can't. Yeah. Yeah. Just recognize that what you're doing is not working with a spirit animal. Um, And if you need a replacement word, I know that this is not necessarily the context in which most witches use it. 
but we have a term for uh, connecting spiritual with animals in witchcraft, and that's a familiar. Um, so if there's a specific animal animal that you feel drawn to, generally a familiar is a like one animal. But say you feel really um, spiritually attached to horses, and you feel like the spirit, like the horse spirit, is um, you know a guide for you, or or you connect with that. Maybe the horse spirit is your familiar. I think that would be acceptable. Yeah. And that's a totally valid, and it is very valid to work with animals on that level, but it's not okay to call them your spirit animals and pretend that you're participating in an indigenous tradition. So a few years ago, I would have said maybe use Patronus, but um, again, as I say on this, this podcast, pretty much every single episode, um, don't give money or support JK Rowling because she's a turf and we don't like turfs. Fuck turfs. Yep, yep, this yep. Is mostly because back in like May or June, I tweeted that our next episode, I was going to say fuck turfs. And then we didn't actually air that episode. So I'm saying it on this episode, fuck turfs. <laughs> yep, fuck turfs. Okay. Is there anything else, Katie, that you feel like that we need to discuss? Um, no, I think that's all that we had slated. Uh, you know, we're going to hopefully get a, I don't know if we're going to count this as our September episode or if we're <laughs> going to be like, oops, this was supposed to be the August episode. You get two episodes for September. Um, but we are, you know, we are working on it and we will hopefully be getting to you within the next month or so. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah we have the ideas are there. Um, things are kind of calming down a little. I think a big part of it too was that, the world was like briefly open for two months. And so we were like, we have to get out of our houses and like go do things while we can. Um, And we did, we got to see each other in real life for the first time in two years. We got matching tattoos. Um, And now that we're kind of settling back in our homes and not allowed to leave again, maybe we'll have more time to record and edit the podcast. Yep. And, you know, winter's coming. You want to get out less when winter is here. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so if, you know, this was our Q&A, maybe we'll do another one in the future. In the meantime, if you have questions, thoughts, comments, concerns, um, you just want to tell us how much you love us, uh, you can DM us or uh, email us. Yes. And email us. Um, at babywitchpod at gmail.com and we are on Instagram and Twitter at babywitchpod all right well we will talk to you all on the next magical Monday bye